Stefan, episode number 27. You look like you're literally falling asleep at the moment. Seriously. That's true. Because yeah. it's 27 episodes. 27. That means almost uh, one and a half year. Holy shit. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know why I'm doing this. But, uh, oh, I'm, I'm doing this for, for the love of closure. <laughs> so, that's, you know, that's the thing that matters. Anyway, welcome to the show. Is so important, isn't it, to you? Hmm? Sincerity is so important to you. Yes, indeed. So, uh, this is episode number 27 and um, last episode we had uh, David Nolan and we thought we we're going to bump it up a notch and then get even more awesome guest <laughs> than David Nolan. Yeah. So we've done it, I think. We I think went, we've done it. Yeah, yeah. And I think so so we basically thought okay, you know what? What is going to be better thing than than completely traveling across the globe and then going to like I don't know, people who live upside down and then like get to them and then see what what's happening down there. <laughs> so, um we have on the show today Daniel Compton all the way from New Zealand. Well, all the way. I mean, he's technically there, but um yeah, yeah. he's still there. Welcome to yeah. the show, Daniel. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. This, this graffiti work, just to talk about upside down people, are you still stuck to yeah. earth? Yeah. Because yeah. it yeah, looks like tithers. the background looks like you're floating in a heavenly orb of some type, <laughs> like in a spaceship or something like that. <laughs> Yeah, this is this is my new office. Um I built it. Well, I didn't build it. Build builders built it and I did some of the painting and stuff uh, a couple of months ago. Um after we had our second baby and it was yeah, I knew that was going to be a little bit too much no, too much noise going on in the house, so I got the builders to um, got the bit, <laughs> Make got more some, noise. <laughs> yeah, they they made some more noise okay, for a while. Um, what yeah. you're saying is going to be on the internet forever. Mm-hmm. So Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they're going to listen to this thing <laughs> they're really eventually aren't. yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah yes. but it looks like it looks like you're in one of those rooms of Johnny Ive you know in the in in the apple adverts where he's very deep about the the the, the, the edges the edges of the, the the chamfers did you did you do the chamfers daniel did you did you make sure I, the chamfers were all 100% milled with fine diamond cut edges i i i did the the plastering and painting myself and i i thought i did a good Ooh. job until afterwards and then you know at, in certain certain angles it's not so great um so <laughs> I, it's probably not johnny i've approved um, all right okay. <laughs> but it looks pretty impressive it's all all white you look very godly yeah you look like you're floating in a in a in a like a video from some fancy place. Yeah, maybe that's a, that's what New Zealand is probably fancy place. Mm, yeah. I've never been there. Okay, this, I think the I think the first question that we would like to know is that whether the toilet flushes in the other direction or not. Yeah. That's the biggest question, right? Is it true? I've never checked. Well, I, I guess yeah. you don't know though because it just flushes in the way that you have always had it flushing. Yeah. <laughs> This this seems to be like spectacular way to open a closure podcast. I think so. Talking about water in the toilet. But Ray, what do you have in in the background? Is it Little Schemer, the 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 orange book? Uh yeah, actually I do. Yeah, that was uh that ah, I don't know if you bloody, bought that for me or uh, if that was so I think a friend bought it for me actually. A friend okay. bought it for it me. It could be me because I lost that book a long time ago. So maybe it's like uh you stole it from me. Anyway, I've never been mind. to your house, I'll so it it's out. not possible, I think. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You've been to my house, but I haven't had an invite to yours, actually. But then I can, yeah, s- so I can I, see... Yeah, so I, I, I strategically placed it. 
Okay. <laughs> in your home. Well, we, maybe we can get an invite from Daniel to his house. So I think, because we were talking before about like what what is New Zealand famous for now? And if you, you know, Peter Thiel and his billionaire class who want to escape the apocalypse, the appending apocalypse that Donald is bringing, you know, and that they're bringing, in fact, Peter Thiel and his buddies. Mm. They're coming with the blood of young children to, to the hideouts in New Zealand. So you're seeing a lot of that, Daniel? No, not seeing too much of that uh, up in the, the North Island. Um, I think the South Island oh, okay. is really where they collect them. That's you know, the South Island. Cr- yeah, crea- okay. Creative naming. There's the, the North Island and the South Island. Um, <laughs> but it's it's really not that creative if they are in the North and the South. It's better if they're West and East, then it's, then it's confusing everybody, <laughs> you know. <laughs> What if you're born in the north, in the east of the North Island? What do you call yourself then? Uh, you're just you're just a, a North Islander. You're just a North Islander. There's no subcategories. Yeah. No, no, it's not big enough. Okay. This, this, yeah, that, that's what I was thinking. I was thinking it, this might be incredibly offensive, but New Zealand has North and South. I mean, that looks tiny on the map. It's like <laughs> Holland. I mean. How can it have north and south? You know, like that they sound too far. How big is this anyway? Um, it's about two two thousand kilometers, I think, from tip to uh, tip okay. to bottom. Wow. And what, what's the rivalry wow. story then between between the north and the south? Because I, I wasn't aware that there was. Um, I mean, I, I know that there's a little split there, but it's joined, isn't it? There is um, maybe it's not know, fully island, is it? And, and yeah, no, they're two islands. Um, but yeah, so no, what's the join then between the two? Just a quick geography lesson at the beginning of this closure podcast. Sure. Bring us yeah. up to speed with so, New Zealand's geography. Come on. Well, welcome to New Zealand geography podcast. <laughs> yeah. So, so the um, the sort of uh, indigenous creation myth is that Maui pulled the um, the islands up out of the sea, um, oh, North yeah. Island and South Island, with his uh, jawbone hook, and that's how we got here today. Um, and so there's uh, a channel between the North and South Island, uh, mm-hmm. like you know, like a, a water channel. You have to take a ferry or a plane across to the other ones. Um, and mm-hmm. so there's not so much uh, North versus South Island, but it's more of a everybody to the north of me is is worse than I am sort of mentality. So the the <laughs> the, the okay. o- o- so Auckland is the sort of um, major city, metropolitan city, um, and you know. I'm not sure how, you know, this is just a, a generalisation, but, you know, everyone south of Auckland says, oh, you know, those Aucklanders, they're soft and they drink their lattes. And then as you kind of go go further down, um, all of the people in the South Island say, oh, all of those North Islanders, you know, they're, they're soft, they drink their lattes. And then it kind of, continue, you know, goes down and down and down as it gets colder and colder and um, more more miserable. Right. And, um, yeah. So, okay. most, so most of the most of the zombie avoiders are in the South Island. That's then. right. Yeah, Is there's lots right? lots of um, wide open spaces, and yeah, you, know, you can see right. for long long distances. You can see the zombies coming. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. So, right. Well, we had a little. Uh, me and you had a little bit of fun on the internet recently, didn't we? Ah, uh, <laughs> wouldn't say that. <laughs> That's. <laughs> it was not fun for him, apparently. So, <laughs> no, actually, I was. You know, something we, we're going to talk about uh, about one of your big projects, the reframe stuff, and all the D eight stuff as well. And 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 actually, to be honest, I don't want to troll you about this shit because I was super proud that I made one tiny adjustment to your documentation, and you accepted you, it. So, thank you very much. You mean, you know, it's, it's my it's my very small claim to fame. 
So I appreciate that, you know. So I'm bowing down to you, Daniel. Thank you very much. You're welcome. <laughs> All right. So, uh, so yeah. So, Daniel, tell us a bit about yourself then. You know, New Zealand, is, is Closure big there? What's, what's the story? Uh, so Closure's not uh, that big in New Zealand, um, although we do have Colin Fleming, um, who's, uh, yeah. you know, he's... Big hitters. Big, big, yeah, big hitters, but not too many of them, maybe that's the way to put it um so there are there are a couple of um there's one couple of closure companies up in auckland one in wellington there's colin fleming uh, and nelson that's mm. about all that i know of um there might be a few others um hiding around uh, places um, but yeah certainly not uh you know not that many compared to um you know say san francisco bay area it's probably a much higher percentage of People using closure. Yeah, but that's like that's like uh, mental, isn't it? That's so many people there. But you you a bit like um, a bit like most closure programmers by the sound of things. You're living in the middle of nowhere, remote. Yeah, working. yeah, yeah. So um, <laughs> I, we I was living in Auckland for for a few years, uh, and then hmm. um, I've been contracting for day eight for a couple of years, and we realised, uh, you know, why are we living in the most expensive city? Uh, in New Zealand, when I'm working remotely, um, Day it's an Australian company and everyone works remotely. So we thought, well, why don't we move somewhere a little bit cheaper? So we moved yeah. back to our hometown um, in Morrinsville in the Waikato. And yeah, that's where I live. So Nice. So what's the story then, Daniel? How did you get to, to the to the lisps, to the parentheses? Uh, so I, I studied uh, rock music at university um and obviously yeah, yeah clearly that's <laughs> yeah straight, I mean, straight. You know. yes <laughs> as you do so for, 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 for the people who are the listening right now <laughs> no we, we need to tell them right you know for, for the people who are listening you know now now you know daniel is sitting in a place with uh, i don't know big rock albums and 17 guitars in the background and <laughs> You know, huge yeah. speakers and everything, and with Metallica tattoos. I don't know, is Metallica rock? I have no clue. It is, but yeah. yeah. Okay, you, who cares? You, okay, we're lucky there. Yeah, yeah. So, something like that, and then then huge posters of all that stuff. Uh, rock bands, help me out here. What what are the rock bands? <laughs> Say something. <laughs> ACDC. Yeah, I don't know. Yes, yes, yeah. Lead Zeppelin. Yeah, so he's sitting in that kind of room actually. <laughs> so you yes. saw Rich Hickey's hair, and you just thought, I've got to do that. Yeah, it was it was close to that, and actually wasn't wasn't too no it wasn't too far from that. Not that was a lucky hit then. So so yeah, I I studied music and I did a little bit of maths. And in my last year of university, I did a programming paper just kind of for for interest. I'd always sort of been interested in programming and a little bit of Apple scripting stuff, but not kind of heavy duty programming. But I took that paper and you know really enjoyed it, and then. After university, I'm not sure if you know this, but the job market for music graduates is not not incredible. Um, there's not not a not a great shortage of <laughs> rock musicians out there. So um, I was you know fortunate enough to get a job doing sort of data entry, computer admin stuff um, out of university, and then taught myself more and more um, as I as I was at the job, and then taught myself from the consultants that um, this company had in you know doing programming mm-hmm. for them and then when we moved up to Auckland I went to work for those consultants uh, and so that was in a you know incredibly niche Microsoft warehousing financial package um, that you know you'd never you've, you've never heard of or seen and you'll 
hopefully never have to see it um, yourself. Um, you know, they, they just got syntax highlighting uh, a couple of years ago. Um, you know, ah, that, okay, moving with the times. Awesome. Yeah, so that's that's kind of the you know the world that that was in, and so I could see that you know long term this you know this wasn't going to be you know something that I really wanted to be in for a long period of time, and I'd been watching Rich Hickey videos. Um, you know, while I was you know at this kind of time in my life, and I I think that the Datomic ones were really what kind of got me into Closure because oh. I was working with a working with a mutable database all all day. Everything was in the database, even the even the code was in the database, which is about as bad as it yeah. sounds. Um, Oracle, basically. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pretty yeah. much. And yeah, so that's the Oracle architecture, isn't it? You know, stored procedures in the database. <laughs> Boom, yeah. you're done. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so so I um you know watched this and thought man this would this would make my life so much easier if I had a, an immutable database that we could kind of look back what was the the system state you know last week yeah. um and so mm-hmm. you know more, more I looked into it I thought well you know this guy's also written a language you know he must be you know if if I like his database design so much maybe I should check out his language and then sort of went mm-hmm. from there you know working on it more and more and then I started consulting, um, and so I've been working with Clojure for the last three, three and a half, four years, somewhere around that time. Cool. You're probably one of the, the few first people time. who's backed into, yeah, sorry. Yeah, DJ, exactly. Yeah, yeah that, that, that's what I was about to say. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a compelling um, compelling story um, if you're. Yeah. yeah. Are you actually going to tell me now that you don't use Datomic at all? Well, <laughs> We 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 just recently started. <laughs> we just recently started a project um, at day eight, which has been using Datomic. So that was a few few months ago. So yeah, I kind of got into closure and thought, you know, and sort of yeah, <laughs> there was more than enough um, to learn learn in closure. Um, but yeah. yeah, so I've been using Datomic a bit this year. Um, so you're like come phew. come for Datomic and stay for closure. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know, the other way around. <laughs> Very nice. Oh, you finally okay. got your thing, so that's really good. Yeah. 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 So, uh, tell us about the the projects that 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 you were working on. I mean, there is a lot of open source work that you put out there already. Um, obviously, Reframe and Kibit and lots of other libraries. So, yeah. Can we can um, we start talking about Reframe because I, I'm I, yeah. I've also had a little chat with Mike and and hopefully we can we can get him. Get him to join us next year as well to give a bit yeah. more of a, a bigger story. But can you give us a little bit about like what what's got you going with Reframe, Daniel? Because I know you're one yeah. of the you know you're one of the act, one of the very active people there. Sure. Yeah. So so Mike Thompson, my boss, is kind of the the creator and you know visionary of of Reframe, if you like. Um, yeah, he's the one who does all of the. Um, he does he does the implement, implementation too, but he also does the the big thinking, uh, you know, conceptual. Mm. Where do we want reframe to be going in the future? Um, and you know, I do some maintenance and you know some some more you know feature feature level stuff. Um, and uh, I got into reframe because I started working for day eight, um, and this is what they they created about three three and a half years ago, maybe four. It's been a little it's been around for quite a okay. while now. Um, yeah. and yeah, they, they created it, um, because they were coming from a flash based, um, world. And so they had kind of really rich, um, rich flash apps that they were building, um, lots and lots of client side 
interactions, not just sort of mm. straight forms, but lots of you know tables and um, multi-dimensional visualizations and all sorts of you know pretty pretty rich uh, complex things. And so they sort of took took a look around and. Um, Mike had been looking at the Elm architecture and you know stuff mm. from all 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 over the the you know, the, the front end landscape and sort of came mm. came up with with reframe as um, the the design that made sense to him. Okay, but does does he come up with all this stuff from re, in the README? I mean, by himself or yes, he, yes. Does he have a, like a professional writer or something? <laughs> I mean, he just writes this like a novel and. Yeah, he's he's the he's, Dan Brown of uh, readmes. That's yeah, that's one of the things uh, that Reframe is possibly most well known for is its you know extensive documentation and um, you know very yeah. very long documentation. At one point, it was all in one big very long readme, and yeah, the the there's kind of no no secret there. It's just you know hours and hours of work. I'd say Mike's probably put in I don't know ten times maybe. 20, 30, 40 times the amount of time writing the documentation as he has in programming um, reframe. Yeah. Um, so mm. that's, yeah. Yeah. And I think that really shows. Um, Fascinating. Okay. So, um, so if I understand correctly, so Mike is doing the, the, the big picture stuff and mm -hmm. then you're, you're maintaining these things, basically dealing with uh, people like Ray. Opening a pull request and shit, <laughs> and telling them to fuck off and uh, stop bothering me now. Yeah, I mean, Mike, but, but Mike, Mike does from, the maintenance from, too. I just, I just don't want to kind of claim credit for that. He's just the annoying one of the larger things. <laughs> yeah, Mike's really cool. So, yeah, but uh, Daniel, oh man, yeah. <laughs> but where, where is Reframe going? I mean, so is this used? To, is is this extracted from from production code, or is it something that? That, that you first worked on and then used uh, in, in in projects. Uh, it's definitely you know in production, and we've got uh, pretty five or more pretty large applications um, using Reframe. So you know tens of tens of thousands of lines of code. We've probably got you know well over a hundred thousand lines of code by now um, using nice. Reframe. Uh, so yeah, and you know lots of other people do too. So you know I guess uh, we don't have any major yeah major major breaking changes that we're we're planning on making to it um okay. yeah it's now pretty pretty settled um there's uh you know there's there's different features improvements probably the one that people are most interested in uh is possibly well one, one of the features people are interested in is making reframe more um taking out the global state from reframe mm. um, yeah, yeah and and that's um, so. For those people who don't know, Reframe has one global atom, and all of your handlers, subscriptions, and event handlers are registered into the the global context. And that's that's really nice for getting up and running. And yeah, there's there's lots of benefits that come from that, but it does make it can make it a little bit challenging if you want to have more than one Reframe application on you know in the in the browser context at the same time so there's mm. kind of different different ways we've looked at that and i guess the, what we're really uh wanting to avoid is uh you know throwing the baby out with the bathwater that if we you know and make something mm. that's more um you know removing this global state or making it you know packaging it up um what does the developer experience look like because uh, that's kind of mm. the most most important thing is um 
how you know how do how do people use it? But isn't the global state um, one of the key points of of this architecture? Having having one place where the entire uh, UI state, everything being stored. Yeah. So there's there's kind of two two parts to global state. So there's um, mm-hmm. there's 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 one app AppDB, uh, which is global. Yeah. Uh, and but that doesn't necessarily need to be you know diffed into the you know into the reframe.db namespace that could be mm. you know that that atom could be passed around throughout the whole app so it's still one one atom or ratom actually mm. uh, reagent atom yeah. but um it's not kind of the the state doesn't um interfere with other other reframe apps on the same page um okay um, so that's but i think also there isn't the um the fact that you've got global state uh, there's one. That's one part of it. But if you wanted to have, um, you, you can put events and you, you. In theory, you could have multiple places to store your data. Uh, I mean, you don't do it yet, but in theory, all this like, um, like the the FX um, style um, handlers. Yes. Yes. In yes. Theory um, could take another database. Or yep. supply another database. That's right. Yes, you could. Um, yeah, and some people. Maybe I'm getting them. into the weeds here, but you know, maybe we should lift it up a little bit. Yeah. So that's um, that's reframe, and it's getting more and more popular. Um, you know, we see a couple of uh, job job postings every month or so that mention mention reframe uh, yeah. in the in the description. Uh, so yeah, I think it's it's sort of been just a slow slow build over time as people. Um, you know, discover it and use it and like it and get running with it. Um, so that's yeah, that's, that's really satisfying. And when you get pull requests from people um, like Ray, um, you know, I, I'm being genuine. I'm being genuine here. Um, I, you know, that okay. uh, you know, it really does um, does make it yeah. um, make it uh, better. And it's a really good feeling when you get pull requests from people, you know, mm-hmm. contributing. Um, a quick question for you then actually is the because we're talking about we'll come on to your your depths thing in a minute but one of the things that I noticed with reframe is that and the thing I, it's the thing I like about reframe is that this they have a bunch of components um you know d8 have this recom components and you have mm-hmm. this flow and x x and we won't get into each of those components but what I'm what I'm interested in is like the management of those components. Um, any thoughts around that? At the moment, it's like fairly free for all. I think. I mean, DA have some, but you can find some on GitHub. But what's this? What's the thinking around that? A bit longer term. Yeah, um, I think there's probably we have sort of a list of uh, you know these are components that um, or libraries for reframe that you might want to use. Um, mm. I think you know we're probably not going to set up a, a registry. We have to people have to you know, publish to it, but um, yeah. you know, I I could certainly see you know there being a little bit more structure around that, or you know, just making it a bit easier for people to discover um, you know what's out there. Um, but yeah, nothing nothing at the moment. Fair enough. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Good. Moving on then to depth. Well, we come on to depths. Why not? You know. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, Smooth maybe we we'll transition start- there. Pretty professional. Yeah. Yeah, we might might actually start at Clojars because that's kind of the the, okay. the, yeah. the, the start of the start of depths ones, is actually yeah. Clojars. Yeah. Um so Clojars is probably everybody, just about everybody listening to this podcast knows is the Clojure community jar hosting service. Mm. Um and so I've been uh an admin and maintainer there for 
think coming up two years now um mm. and uh so yeah we've um moved Clojars away from Linode onto Rackspace uh thanks to their sponsor our Rackspace sponsors Clojars um we've also moved Clojars onto a CDN uh, thanks to Fastly who sponsor all of the bandwidth right. for that uh, and so those two things um have really kind of upped upped Clojars reliability um quite a lot because we're no longer depending yep. on you know the service you know our our, our Clojars service staying up um, we can, you know, depend on Rackspace's object storage and Fastly's CDN to mm. um, stay up. Yeah. Could you give a little bit of a, I mean, just for for people who are maybe not so familiar with it, what's the reasoning behind why Clojars exists rather than just using Maven? Because obviously many things are in Maven and it's been there for a long time. We can access Maven. So what's what's the point? Yeah, I think, so it was, you know, Clojars has been around um you know, long before I came to Clojure. Um, so I'm not kind of aware of all of the all of the thorny backstory, but um, Clojure's is, um, I think one of the goals of Clojure's has been it's to be easy to publish to for the Clojure community. Mm. And so Maven Central, you know, there's various requirements of what you need to do to get a jar into Maven Central. And, uh, you know, Clojure's, for better or worse, has a lot um a lot less stringent requirements, really. Um, if you can publish it, um, that's kind of <laughs> about as much as you need mm. um, to get on there, um, as long as no one's taken that name. Uh, so, yeah, that's um, so. Clojars is designed primarily for the Clojure community, um, and it's an open source project. There are there is at least one project I'm aware of um, that has forked Clojars and uses it uses their the base of that for I think it's the cascading community so they they publish their jars to you know a forked forked right. version of Clojars that they use uh and so yeah Clojars is kind of the no uh, it's just a you know big data java java library uh so oh, yeah, okay Clojure. sorry yeah i thought it was a, it was like meant you meant it was some sort of competitor yeah no 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 um yeah so yeah that's Clojars. um it's for for the closure community um, to read and write from. So it makes it easy to publish. You don't have to do all these pom.xmls and all this other crap. Yeah, and you don't need approval and there's no um, mm. promotions and you know, there's less restrictions on signing and the names, you know, the the names that you choose. And that's that kind of has um, I'm not sure if you know what the long term effects of it is, but in Maven Central you need to be able to kind of own the group ID. Um, you know, by owning the domain name or, you know, have some sort of, yeah. uh, you know, there's there's restrictions. You can't just publish to whatever you like, whereas in, in Clojars you can, you know, just pick pick whatever name you like. It doesn't have to be a reverse dom- domain name and you mm. can publish to it. And that's, um, you know, certainly easy. Um, I I kind of wonder, you know, in the long term, is it going to end up polluting the the namespace or, um, <laughs> you know, what, you know, what happens... Um, what happens with that long term, I'm not sure, but uh, certainly that's the way it is, and it's not likely to change. Yeah. Um, so left pad is might be unpublished at some future point. <laughs> yeah, is that right? Yeah. 
Yes. So just just a quick question on that. I mean, it's a bit of a sort of left field question, but you know what the hell? Um, you know, this is <laughs> everything is un <laughs> uncharted here. So um, you know, remember that there was a big uh, you know Rich Hickey make, we're talking about him earlier on making these big talks, and uh, the one before last was all mm -hmm. about um, versioning and packaging and and dependencies and basically a semantic versioning is fucked. I think mm -hmm. he was more polite than that, but that's that was the bottom line. Um, so uh, clearly, things like Clojars uses, um, you know, semantic, well, not necessarily semantic versioning, but package versioning and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, there's, there's two questions. Really. Number one is, what did you think about that talk? Did, did it did it did it resonate with you in terms of how Clojars runs? Uh, yeah, absolutely. So Clojure, um, one of the things he talks about um, in that is how Maven Central is immutable. And that's mm. something that um, Clojars has has always been, uh, you know, largely immutable. And there's mm. been you know cases where people have wanted things deleted. And um, you know, I think in part because of that talk, um, we've kind of been a little bit more serious about not letting people delete things. You know, nothing was ever. It was never like you know, delete. I want to delete left pad, and we just say, okay, sure. But um, you know, it was the you know, I accidentally published this thing or this thing that I published. You know, two months ago, and it's actually not. Um, and no one's using it. I didn't mean to. Um, you know, we we would leave that there now. Mm. Um, so, so the immutability um, of the the repository is you know crucial to Clojars, uh, and I think the you know semantic versioning uh, not being a great way to you know communicate change is you know makes a lot of sense. Um, I think probably the one thing that I haven't really seen people. Um, push back on or talk about is the costs of of this approach um, because it's certainly you know it's valuable to people to not have their their software break um, but there's different kinds of uh, software development or different audiences that you're developing for and so if you're you know a solo developer developing your own internal libraries for your mm -hmm. for your own projects then you know the breakage in that you know it's maybe not great but you're the one who broke it you can also fix it it's probably not a big deal and you know, similarly, in a, even in a you know, moderately sized company, uh, you know, the person who's making these breaking changes has the ability to fix them. And oftentimes, I, I would argue that's probably a lower lower effort than maybe lower effort than doing the you know backwards compatible um, non breaking changes. Um, mm. Once you start getting out into you know libraries that are consumed by by the world, then I think this you know this approach really starts to uh, make a lot of sense, and you know the the benefits are uh, are much much larger there. So, so my follow up question, and again, this is very uh, just off the top of my head, is there was all this stuff in Closure one point nine, um, and that Stuart Holloway has talked about as well with spec, is that mm -hmm. in theory you could publish um, tests and all these other things as a potential way of communicating the validity of the components and their test. Is this something, I mean, I know that it's early days, so you might, you won't have anything yet, but have you, have you thought about that as a, as a sort of something that could be interesting for Clojars as a, can you explain a that a little bit further? Publishing the tests. Yeah. So I think his idea, you know, just again, it's, I think I don't know if he, how much he's thought about it, but I think it is that is that if you if you can have like a like a, a say that okay I've tested these things and I can publish some sort of hash sum or checksum to say mm -hmm. that 
this, these tests and this spec have been you know made against ran against this code base then that's that's to some extent will save you when you're running the code to say ah right okay well just like the git checksums you know i i, couldn't, mm-hmm. I only need to do the, the the tests against the code which is different or affecting not affecting the code uh, that yes, these, that yes, these um, tests cover yeah yeah that is that a better explanation <laughs> yeah no no i get i I get what you're you're talking about. Yeah, that's definitely an interesting idea. Um, I don't think, you know, it's not something I've got gone past the, the thinking about stage. Um, the other thing that I'm, other thing with spec and uh, closure that I'm sort of interested in, and again, haven't gone past thinking about, is uh, sort of automatically enforcing, uh, you know, semantic versioning or some form of uh, communicating breaking changes where you can uh, sort of from version to version you can say here's the spec here's what the spec was for this function last time here's what the spec is this time um uh, you know are they does does the spec grow or does it break and you know if the spec breaks then uh you know that's a new new major version if it's just growing then it can be a, a minor version i think that that idea um is really interesting and i think elm and other other languages with more um sort of type level information are able to to enforce that, uh, and I think mm. something like that could could be really interesting for for closure. All right, cool. Yeah, yeah. We'll see how it develops in the, in the next release. Obviously, hopefully, um, Santa Closure will um, bring us one point nine <laughs> for Christmas, and uh, we can all have a happy New Year. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> but before before we move into the other topic, I was just wondering, uh, can you give us some idea about the closure stack? I mean, what what kind of stack that you use? Uh, to build Clojure and, and, and run it. Sure. So Clojure is a pretty uh, standard Clojure web app. It's built on Ring, Composure. Mm-hmm. Um, we've got a SQLite database. Uh, those are kind SQLite. of SQLite. Yeah, wow. SQLite. Um, yeah, SQLite can yeah. go quite a long way. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, it's it's not so great for concurrent concurrent writing but yeah, certainly for reading exactly yeah Re- but for yeah. for reading it's fine and um, we don't have you know a ton of concurrent rights um to closures so yeah um, it works really well and it means that we don't have to you know maintain a postgres database um somewhere uh, yeah. so yeah it served yeah. us served us pretty well um we've kind of thought so your database you know, is just for the metadata i guess yeah, metadata, user profiles, um, all of that mm. stuff. We don't serve. Yeah, we don't serve any files um, or anything out of the the database. So the the repository okay. path cool. is yeah is kind of completely separate. Okay, so uh, I think the next logical one to talk about is Deps, right? Yeah, yeah. So so, so Deps is a private Maven repository service that I've been mm-hmm. building, um, and it's now in you know beta better access so people can sign up and uh, start start using it uh, and so I I started Deps because I had used the S3 private wagon and actually maintain it now as well and I you know I found there was some limitations with it uh, you couldn't sort of see see a lot about when stuff was happening or restrict redeploys and there's not a lot of management it's really just treating S3 as a as a Maven repository, but there's not a lot of smarts behind it. And so yeah. we also looked at things like uh, Artifactory and Nexus, and you know those are mm-hmm. you know, really, really powerful and capable tools, but they're also mm-hmm. fairly 
complex and expensive to set up. And so I thought, uh, you know, I think there's probably a, a middle ground here for something that, you know, for smaller teams, people who don't need, you know, the, the you know, super enterprise features of Artifactory or Nexus, uh, but also need something a little bit more, a little bit stronger than the S3 wagon. Uh, that's kind of where Depths is aimed at. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and do you use the same kind of architecture or do you, um, do you use... I noticed that you have a, a rethink DB client. So do you do you go a bit more exotic with the uh, with the depth stuff? Uh, no. So uh, so depths is uh, using Yada, um, the right. Yada Aleph um, manifold kind of uh, that sort of stack, uh, and that was um, you know I really like that. I think do you. Do you guys know Yada? Have you used it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I use yeah, it myself, yeah. actually. Malcolm yeah. has been on the show. Come on, on the you show. know. Yeah. We know Malcolm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No. He's an awesome so, bloke. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> Shout out to Malcolm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I really like Yada. And, and again, I think the docs for Yada uh, are really good. They were kind of part of what sold me sold me on mm. it. Um, and mm. I really like the the philosophy of, of Yada. Um, so, yeah, that, and then Postgres on the, the back end. So not, nothing right, too exotic. Right. <laughs> so this is right now in in private beta yeah um, yeah um, so and this is something like a software as a service right people people uh get an account and then they can use it as a repository private repository that's right yes uh so the other thing that um we didn't want to do and um other people also don't want to do is run their own servers um and so right. yeah. with um artifactory and nexus you usually have to run it on your own server or there is a, a SaaS version from Artifactory, but it's still mm. it's still just a, you know a server that they provision for you, um, okay. and so yeah, this is a multi-tenant service. Yeah. So how do you? Because I think usually for these kind of things, security is the most uh, critical thing, right? Because in, in the organization that that I worked with, um, the whole reason of running a private uh, repository is to not to let the code you know being seen by other people or whatever, uh, because the, the, those are internal. Uh, libraries that they want to use and they want uh, they don't want to expose it to the outside and also the other reason is that they also have the federated repositories uh, if you use nexus mm-hmm. for example yep. you also federate the public things as well yeah um so y- you're you're asking people to put their private code in there so how can how can one of our listeners or me you know can convince our boss that hey you know daniel from new zealand is running this so he's a good guy so i'm going to use this thing <laughs> Yeah, so um, yeah, as you said, security is you know really really important, uh, and so yeah. um, that's kind of you know uh, whenever I'm developing stuff, you know, security is top mm. of mind, um, and uh, you know companies are more and more becoming more comfortable with putting their code, um, you know, somewhere on the internet, you know, GitHub. Um, yeah, I'm not sure. Yeah, GitHub if, private. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so. And and there's certainly companies that you know just aren't comfortable with that risk. They you know just say um you know as long as it's you know it's got to be in my firewall under my control and mm-hmm. you know that's fine. There's there's lots of um you know great great options for them there. Uh, so yeah, I'm gonna you know uh, you know take security as as seriously seriously as as I can. Um, and you know audit audit the code um, as I'm writing it. And mm. um, yeah, okay. And and this is basically um, I can use it exactly like every other Maven repository. So I can publish to it. I get keys and then just use the same. That's right. Uh, kind of tooling that I have. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. Yeah. So there's no um, awesome. 
yeah, there's no kind of plugins required. There's nothing nothing weird that goes on there. It's just you know okay. exactly the same as um, any other Maven repository. Okay. And and when do you expect the this thing to get out of beta? Uh, early next year, um, I expect. Okay. Yeah. Okay. okay. One okay. more quick question about that. One of the things that um, because I used to be uh enterprise architect for a large corporation as well um and i introduced nexus actually to that to that company mm-hmm. and uh i i, I like i like the fact that you could um like he said you like we just said you can proxy stuff and mm-hmm. all those kind of things but one of the things that people uh got you know annoyed about to some extent was that we could uh we could um have things coming from the from the internet um that weren't vetted. Um, is that something, or, or there's, two, there's two parts to that actually. One part, and there's something Nexus does and something I think R2 Factory does as well, is one is they say, okay, well, if you depend on on software like, you know, Foolib, whatever, um, and that Foolib is, has got a, I don't know, some sort of weird license or some kind of, um, like viral license. iText mm-hmm. is a good example, actually, uh, which is a PDF formatter for Java. Mm-hmm. Yep. And, it, and recently in version 3 or version 2, some version of it, it moved to GPLv3, which suddenly meant that if you included the library in your code, bam, everything had to be open source. So <laughs> long story there, but but the main point is that you could identify that in, in Nexus, let's say, and you can say, okay, we, we, don't, want to, we don't want to include that in our code anymore. Are those the kind of features that Deps is going to have? I mean, sadly, I don't have a, I haven't, I haven't looked at it myself, and after this, I will. But what kind of added value do you have over a simple hosting model, if any? Yeah, so th- those are you know those kind of uh, federated repositories and license checking that sort of stuff um, is definitely something I want to add add mm. to Deps. Um, mm. I don't have anything there at the moment, but um, yeah, that's certainly uh, you know certainly people people need it. Um, and certainly, you know, large enterprises, it's, it's really important to them. Uh, what what I still need to learn is how important that is to, to you know, to the to the small, medium sized developer shops that right, I'm targeting. Right, yeah. Um, but yeah. yeah, it's definitely definitely on my radar. Sweet. Okay, so the big thing that we want to talk about uh, the new project that you started i don't know if we, if we want to call it as a project but um so, so hang on, give, give us all the details we're, we're, we're an hour in now and we've suddenly get to the point where <laughs> <laughs> i'm sorry we ran out of time okay stop now <laughs> we have so many things to talk about daniel so i know it's kind of uh, yeah yeah <laughs> sorry about that we've, we've waffled on for a hell of a long time so yeah so let's get to the meat of it now finally yeah so uh the the new project organization um that um just came out last week is closureists together uh, and so it's a organization that's designed to help fund and uh, keep closure open source projects sustainable uh, and so the the general model is that uh, developers and companies um, commit to giving us some money each month um, and then they tell us you know what things they think are important for the closure community then we have uh, open source developers submit their projects to us and um, you know explain why they think it would be a good fit and then we look at those you know the, the applications from people and what um, companies and developers are telling us and say all right which are the you know what's going to give the the most impact to the most people um, in the next three months and so then we then pay 
those developers to to work on those projects uh, for for the next three months, and then we repeat the cycle again. Awesome. Hmm. So, what what is the structure? So, what is how 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 can somebody become member? Because there are two sides to this thing, right? I mean, people who are getting benefit from um, from contributing open source projects or putting their project in in under the umbrella or or I don't know uh, sponsorship of uh, closures together. Mm-hmm. And also the companies or the developer members getting into this one. So can you elaborate on on that thing a bit? Sure. Yeah. So uh, on our website, uh, closureiststogether.org, uh, there's uh, different pages that you know, depending on who who you are, where you're coming from. So for companies, mm-hmm. they can uh, you know sign up and look at the different uh, support levels that are available to them, and you know hopefully pick the highest one. And yeah, uh, yeah <laughs> support us. Um, there's also an option for individual developers. Uh, so if you're you know someone who you, know, you can't convince your company to use Clojure, or you know maybe your company doesn't use Clojure, but you you know, like it and you just want to support this this community, then uh, you can sign up for an individual developer membership. Uh, and then if you're yep. you know, an open source project maintainer, you can um, also apply. You can um, you know, see what sort of uh, we don't really place requirements on you, but there's you know just a little bit of structure around how the how the project runs, and you know you need to tell us what you've done, hmm. um, you know, each month and stuff. So it's not it's not you know onerous, but there is um, a little bit a little bit of communication required yep. as part of it. Uh, Can I ask you a boring question? Like I notice you've got different you've got different levels of your. Uh company memberships that you've got cute names for Mm -hmm. so you have like a source member cons member (laughs) did you think about the branding here because cons member sounds bad but (laughs) (laughs) and you've gone finally you've got reduced member is the highest level is that (laughs) that, that's very good yeah let's let's reduce one more (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah (laughs) it's very good yeah i like it thanks is yeah. there is there a, um, did did any projects apply for funding already? I know it's it's a very early stage for the for the movement, so to speak. Yeah, yeah, we've had um, maybe just about ten projects apply, and right. wow. yeah, I can't. Uh, yeah, I'm not gonna sort of talk about yeah, them of just yet. But um, yeah, there's yeah. definitely some you know some really really cool projects in there. Uh, ones that are you know well well used among the community, and so really the. The, the challenge we have is getting getting enough money to to fund them all, um, and so yeah. I guess that's kind of where um, the listeners come in. Uh, hopefully, they can you know, talk to their bosses about signing up for a company membership because that's we've had we already had a really good uptake from individual developers who are signing mm-hmm. up. Um, haven't had so much interest from companies. We've had had a couple of uh, companies though that that mm-hmm. have, and you know, really really grateful to them uh, and. Yeah, that it's you know we, I think we kind of need a mix of both for it to really work well. We need something you know community to support it and back it and be behind it, mm. but also mm. you know it's the, the companies that have you know the the resources you know to to really um, sponsor this um, to you know to a to a high level. So as I understand, the uh, if a company joins, they can they can have tax deductions as well. So it's not it's not a kind of because it's a charitable donation, it's treated as a charitable donation. You can get some tax benefits from it as well. So it's not kind of um, a completely uh, what should we say? It's not completely without some benefit to the companies. Also, 
Yeah. So I, there's, you know, there's the direct um, financial benefit of you know uh, tax deductibility. I think, hmm. as far as I'm aware, that that only really works if your if your company has a US um, right. base of operations. Right. Um, but um, hmm. the other the other part of this is uh, for companies to think about is you know what's the cost of your own uh, developers working around bugs in projects hmm. and maintaining private forks of things because you know the the person who you know, you're depending on this project, but they don't have the time or energy to you know maintain it to or you know accept your pull requests or whatever. So there's you know companies every day are you know already paying these costs in in one way or the other, um, and so this is you know a, a way to to benefit the community, but also benefit those companies. So what's the education around that? Because I, I mean I definitely see uh, you know you see a lot of this stuff you know going around where. And I've I've been in large companies myself where people are very happy to spend you know ridiculous amounts of money with Microsoft and Oracle and these other guys for shit technology and for shit support. Um, uh, let's just be honest about that, you know. And uh, you know why they're doing it. You know, you always ask why, why, why you know why you spend this money. Well, you know, two reasons. Number one is uh, we can sue them. Yeah, <laughs> that is a ridiculous <laughs> yeah, argument, yeah. but it's out there, yeah. you know. Um, oh yeah, if it all goes wrong, we can sue them. By the way, you can't. You know, if your business sinks and Oracle's got a bug, good luck suing them. You know, because that's that's not going to help you. You know, um, but it seems to be like there's mostly it's about the, the the other reason and the reason why a lot of these people like are nervous about open source even is this indemnity problem. You know, where in theory, if they use this software in their software, then if that turns out to be foul of some patent or trolling patent troll or some shit, then these guys, in theory, can be can be sued as well. So they've got some liability. Whereas with certain Linux Foundation projects or JBoss and stuff like that, where they got Red Hat people, they're mm-hmm. indemnified against it. Is this something which you're also thinking about? Because a lot of these, you know, why do people spend money? Uh, and it's very rarely for for pure kind of reasons of goodness you know it's often to to say to to stave off some some horrible legal bullshit that they've got to deal with yeah so i think that uh there's definitely you know as you said there's you know large amounts of money going to commercial software and i think one of the things that uh this is kind of part of closure together and the the project that we're you know based around or modeled off as ruby together is that there is a there is a growing recognition in the in the open source community and companies that use open source projects that this is not uh, necessarily sustainable for mm. in the long term that um, you know people work on these projects for a few years and then you know they just move on or they get burnt out or there's just you know too much other stuff going on and these projects mm. you know some sometimes get left to you know just not rot but you know they they just you they're know, left to open SSL in. let's call it that yeah <laughs> they're, they're not moving forward <laughs> anymore Um, and so people are you know there was I think more and more people are realizing that you know the software has value and that there's a someone needs to be maintaining it and so what uh, what closures together is uh, sorry closures together is trying to do is create sort of a a brand brand name and something that large companies can hang their head on and say all right you know we we use closure and this is what we we support um, to to make sure that um, you know our our stack um, stays current, and that's not to say you know we, we don't want to suck up funding if people 
projects of funding, you know, different uh, you know, open source projects directly. Mm-hmm. You know, that's great and definitely don't don't want that to stop at all. But there's um, that can be hard for people to uh, sometimes even give money to projects. Um, yeah, they don't have a an easy way to to give them money, or there's too much overhead for them, and it's uh, this is um, you know just just another option for for these uh, larger companies to to support it. Okay, but isn't this um, maybe that's what you're pointing out as well? Like, um, if, if there is a company that is dependent on a particular stack, and if I want to support uh, as as that company, if I want to support those projects, mm-hmm. but they're not necessarily part of closures together then i'm kind of in a in a in a in, in a flux right because should i support closures together but because you are selecting the projects for me not actually me um offering the money directly to the project so how 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 do you think this is going to play out yeah so people people tell us um firstly they tell us what's important to them uh so mm-hmm. yeah we get that um signal pretty clearly yeah. um and certainly if people want to and are able to you know, fund the projects together, you know, they should definitely do that. Um, yeah. But that's, um, you know, there's lots of um, reasons why, you know, th- that's always been a possibility, um, you know, for the last 20 years. And I think we've seen for the most mm. part that companies, you know, don't don't sponsor um, the projects that they use. Um, so mm. uh, this is, uh, you know, this will help them and help the, the general health of the closure community. Um, and you know yep. their their projects, and as we get larger and larger, we'll be able to sponsor more and more of the you know the, the core core kinds of um, projects that everybody benefits from and depends on. Okay, so the idea is to um, give out um, like a hourly rate for the people who work on the OSS projects, right? Based that's on right. the funding. Yep, that's yep. right. Yep. So we'll say okay. upfront, okay, we can sponsor you for. 10 hours a month or 20 hours yeah. a month or whatever um, makes yeah. sense and um, that we can afford. Um, and mm. yeah. Terrific. Okay. Um, well, I, I think, you know, as, as many people should first know that this exists, you know, that is, I think, one of the biggest uh, yeah. challenges because most of the times, you know, you hear things like, oh, okay, I, I never heard of this thing, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I think getting the word out there is is much more important. And of course, uh, there is the challenge of uh, balancing both sides. Like you have enough um, uh, projects looking for funding, as well as you have enough members, uh, you know, uh, supporting the organization, so you can support the projects themselves. So I really hope you know more and more people uh, will will get into this thing. And and this is a fantastic uh, initiative, by the way. Congratulations on booting it up. Um, I yeah. can see lots of uh, known names, and hopefully, we'll get them onto the show as well eventually. Uh, well, we are following up <laughs> with some of those people. That's right. Yeah, it's not <laughs> just not just me. Um, that's that's working yeah. on this as well. Um, yeah. So the yeah yeah the other people uh, on that. I'll just get their names to make sure they get their their credit too. Uh, Toby Crawley, Bridget Hillier, yeah, uh, Maria Geller, Devin Walters, mm-hmm. Daniel Solano Gomez, uh, and Larry Staden Jr. So uh, yeah. some familiar names. Uh, Maria is in your new, in New Zealand, isn't she? She was in New Zealand, uh, but she's oh, okay. moved uh, to Germany to Berlin. Um, yeah, to oh, Berlin. right, right. Okay. Uh, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
I'm cool. not stalking her or okay. anything. I just happened to mention it in one of her talks, you know, <laughs> <laughs> just to put it out there. You know? That's probably about the closure script talk. Uh, we, we discussed yeah, it yeah, yeah, a yeah, 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 on, yeah. on the podcast. Mm, yeah. Yeah. We'll, try to, uh, we'll try to have her as a guest uh, soon as well. Sure. And Toby Crowley um, used to work with J-Boss, right? Or, or at least the um, Immutant. Yes, yes, he worked at uh, yeah, Red yeah. Hat. Um, and yeah. yeah, okay. So this is, again, a um, fantastic thing. Uh, we really hope that more and more people start supporting it first so you have enough funding to, to enough members to fund the projects. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's a very that, laudable awesome. idea, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, um, as you know, we started our Patreon. So uh, as soon as we get a ridiculous amount of money, we'll become a member as well. <laughs> Yeah, we'll, we'll use, we'll use <laughs> let's say, 10% of the surplus, you know. Yes. <laughs> That's a creative way of saying that you get the last nothing. 20 cents. <laughs> okay. Um, oh, then, anyway, um, so any, any other things that you want to highlight, uh, Daniel? Uh, the other thing that people might be familiar with is the, the REPL, which is a weekly newsletter yep. I write yes. about closure. That's at therepl.net. Uh, and so I try and you know sort of pick through what's happening in Clojure every week and pick out you know what I think is interesting and what I think other people will find interesting yeah. too. Uh, yeah, it's it's a fantastic thing. I mean, it's like uh, it, it has that closure nest to it. You know, it's minimal. It has packed with enough information, right? You know, just for the week, pretty awesome. And and thanks for mentioning our podcast a long time ago. And uh, I'm sorry I missed on the Christmas card thing. Is there a way I can get into that thing <laughs> or, or no? Not, yeah, yeah, I'll I'll get your details <laughs> afterwards. <laughs> there should be some benefit for running a podcast, of course, right? <laughs> of course. Yeah, Thank we you. will have to but, do um, that. Yeah, Reb- huh? I said we'll have to do so, that. Make eighty-two. You got eighty. We have to. <laughs> <laughs> but but it's really cool. I mean, it's it's. Um, I know you know you've been putting out uh, very interesting links out there. So for the people who don't know, it's um, uh, what is the link? Repel. TheRepl.net. Yeah, the Uh So you can subscribe to it. It's a weekly newsletter that comes up with uh, fantastic links uh, and everything about Clojure, Clojure script, including sometimes uh, links to different podcasts. So it's a classy mailing list. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. uh, I'm, I'm pretty sure it's classy. <laughs> the thing, the thing I like about it is you've got some very small like subsets of of, of information which are. Which are always kind of like there's always something interesting, and you have this headline saying people are worried about types, and uh, <laughs> it's funny for a closure for a closure newsletter to have that. But yet, there's always something in that in that section. There's always one or two pieces, you know. So, it, what's your thinking about that? I mean, you know, what, you've put it there. So, tell me a little bit about you know why do you think people are worried about types in the closure world? I know sure, some of the so- answers, but fuck it, your turn. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, so so the the title Time the fires. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so so that um, that uh, sort of subheading is uh, sort of a reference to there's a financial journalist uh, Matt Levine who writes oh, yeah. a daily column um, about sort of Wall Street and finance, and he's really really funny. And he has a recurring section: people are worried about bond market liquidity. Um, which okay. is very, very. I missed that uh, reference. Yeah. I really missed that, that reference. Sorry about that. You know, that's all right. I have no, no clue either. <laughs> I think three people on the list might have got it. You know. <laughs> yeah. Um, so uh, you know, people are worried about. Um, it, it's sort of joking. You know that you know people are not necessarily really worried about it all the time. Um, but there, you know, there is um, definitely you know, especially in the last couple of uh, months, uh, some 
yeah, some fairly heated heated discussions about types and typing, and I think, uh, you know, I think you know, there's there's value to both as probably as as diplomatic um, uh, <laughs> way that I could <laughs> I could put it. Um, yeah, I I wouldn't. Um, yeah, you know, I I think uh, spec spec's really interesting, um, and it's going to have some, you know, some you know bridges bridges that gap to to some mm. degree. Um, you know, it's not, uh, you know, it's, uh, you know, it's it's not uh, the same as types, but you get um, the, some of the benefits um, some of the time for them. Uh, yeah, I, I I wouldn't begrudge anyone um, using. <laughs> using a typed language um that's for sure <laughs> you're not going to go around their houses and like no no no, no. abuse them um, or put poop in yeah. the doorway or something you know it's not that, that kind of thing good uh actually funny enough we had this uh off, off topic to some extent but we had a functional programming meetup for the first time um near where i live last week and we were talking about and this guy one of my friends was making a presentation about elm and some live coding and it was all everyone was very happy with it it was very good um mm-hmm. and what we, we sort of started talking afterwards and of course literally an hour about you know, why should we use types why shouldn't we use types what you know when when can elm infer types when can't it infer types why it mostly infers types by saying there are maps so why bother you know because you've got like half of the room are, are the closure people and half of the room are like Scala or Elm <laughs> or, you know, Haskell people, then it's kind of like, it's just, you know, hatred is the common ground, you know? <laughs> uh, yeah. Funny enough, I opened, you know, my, I, I, we, I was one of the organizers of this thing. I opened up by saying there's more that unites us than divides us. And I'm pretty sure that, you know, types <laughs> is one of those things which does unite us in the end because it all has to bottom down. But, but we are worried about it, so it's it's a great headline, I think. Yeah, <laughs> I think eventually, eventually we'll get um, uh, either Martin Odersky or um, I don't know Simon Peter Jones on Defen, and then yeah. and then things yeah. are going to be completely different. So <laughs> sure. it'll be fun, I think. We will get there. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, Daniel, um, I think that the most important question for for today, you know, so ah. do, do you use Emacs oh or, <laughs> or? I thought uh, you'd forgotten this question. Yeah, there is no way. There is no way. He's <laughs> got he's got a, a screensaver. It's a black and white screen he's got, and it's burned into it at the bottom. You know, there is a screen burn in yeah. with my uh, mini buffer and mode line. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. So so I'm cursive uh, user. I've been using cursive. Is for is, is it is it just Boom. because peer pressure? Because it's from uh, New Zealand, and they're like. You you secretly you're actually using Emacs, but you know in in public you you just want to support Colin a bit, and then <laughs> no no it's 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 the opposite. You know I I think there's a there's a really uh, you there's really a really fucking hair to Emacs VJ. No 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 uh, no I you it know there's a really strong using it. Yeah. <laughs> there's there's a really strong uh, mythos story um, sort of origin hacker um, you know myth of you know the the Emacs user. Um, and I think yeah. that's that's really powerful story that people you know tell themselves when they're learning closure and they're learning lisps and that sort of thing. Yeah, I'm going to follow the path of the parentheses, yeah. and part of that is <laughs> is Emacs. Um, and you know, of course, yeah. that's that's what I did too. And so I was working for a company um, up in Auckland um, doing closure work, and everyone else was using Cursive um, because they they were all sort of ex Java users, so they were you know very comfortable with. IntelliJ, uh, yeah. and I was using yeah. Emacs, and you know I found you know they they sort of you know said you should use it, you should use it, it's really good, 
and I sort yep. of held off and held off. And then eventually I realized, you know, I was spending, uh, I don't know, some amount of time every day just kind of just keeping my ripple, you know, just keeping my ripple running and, you know, wouldn't know from one day to the next, you know, can I jack in with cider today? Um, <laughs> yeah. What's going to, what's going to break today? Um, and, you yeah. know, I think things have gotten a lot, a, a lot better with cider um, yeah, in, the, yeah. in the time since. Uh, but, you know, com- contrasting that with, with cursive, um, you know, I've, you know, I never have, I, n- I never worry about cursive. It just is always there. Uh, never crashes um you know there's just kind of I, I spend no time thinking about it and you know i've got work to do i don't kind of i can't um you know justify mm. billing <laughs> billing time uh filling with my <laughs> emacs set up to to my clients um so so this is the this is the moment that i usually say to good keep talking then keep talking the <laughs> The power of Stallman compels you. Go on, BJ. Sorry, Stallman super, super compels you. Yeah. <laughs> Tell us about the superpowers, VJ. Of course. Uh, let's see. This is a, this is something that we discussed a lot. I mean, I don't want everybody to use Emacs. Then I, you, you know, we basically lose the competitive edge. So, <laughs> and, and it's it's really cool that you know somebody, uh, someone from uh, Toronto, even. I mean, I just checked. I was just checking. Our Defen podcast uh, emails. Oh my god! Uh, yeah. I, we got. I, we I got apologize. Tech support for Emacs <laughs> on our email. On our email. Okay, box, yeah. I I really apologize, Perry Hallenby from Toronto. I mean, he sent me. He sent a message at yesterday at uh, four o'clock. Unfortunately, I didn't check my email, and but but he figured it out in within one hour. So it's pretty awesome. He's using Emacs. So. I'm very happy. Are you running so e- email I, uh, in your Emacs as well? Obviously, of course. Are, there is a Mu for E, and then uh, yeah, we have Mu for E, and then I have an offline IMAP. I'm thinking about switching to Mbox at some point. Um, That's a no, then. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But anyway, <laughs> no. I mean, I am using it. I'm talking about the the, the email fetching program. That's uh, uh, offline yeah. IMAP, okay. IMAP okay. or Mbox. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Anyway, I, I tweet from Emacs occasionally. Mm, that's, so. that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I. I that's, uh, not yep. to say that you know i i really you know respect emacs i like it i think it's you know extremely powerful um but for me i just don't have the have the time or energy <laughs> to to learn it and maintain it and keep up with it and you know cursive you know does all that for me um so <laughs> very yeah. nice um, very diplomatic okay yeah. i think i think we know where you are it's okay <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm gonna take it as peer pressure from Colin. I mean, Colin is basically like going around New Zealand and telling people if you don't use cursive, you know, you're 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 not a Kiwi anymore or something. Right? Yeah, I think and I, that, that's that's certainly possible. He's just riding on the patriotism <laughs> card there. Anyway, nationalistic behavior. Okay, so I think we are almost at the end of our show. I think it's almost a one hour. Yeah, about one hour. Um, is there anything like? Famous last words uh, before we close the show. Uh, nope. No, I think that you know I've covered everything. Um, yeah, yeah that's, the, the last thing actually. Let's just quickly do this: is the kibit thing. Um, yes, yeah. because I think that that would be. I mean, you know, if we've got a little bit more time, if we can just do yeah, like five minutes on on kibit, because um, I think that to me that's like a you know, especially someone. I mean, tell me a bit of the story about the kibit because if that's if you're just starting with Kibit from scratch, I think that's pretty pretty phenomenal, to be honest. Anyway, yeah. So so, uh, so Kibit is a um, project created by Jonas Inland, and it's been around for quite a few years now. Uh, and it's uh, the goal of Kibit is to help you rewrite your 
code, uh, your closure code into more idiomatic closure code. So it looks at the, the patterns in the code that you write and says, oh, it looks like you're trying to do this thing, which is perhaps a little bit convoluted. Why don't you try this pattern, which is more idiomatic? Um, and so it's a, it's a plugin and it's a library, so you can use it from uh, Linegin um, or from you know, in, in the REPL, um, and someone's created a boot um, task for it. We don't have anything official for boot yet, but certainly, you know, if, any, if anyone wanted to contribute something, we'd be happy to happy to take it. Uh, and so, yeah, the the goal of Kibbit is to help people learn learn more and more. You know, what's the the idiomatic way of doing doing things in Closure? Um, and that's uh, there. There's kind of part of part of Kibbit that is not really fully fleshed out yet, but something we'd like to do is help people uh, write their own rules uh, and be able to choose which rules they like because, you know, Kibbit, Kibbit expresses its opinions on what things should be and sometimes you might disagree. And, you know, I even disagree with, with some of the, <laughs> the, 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 the things that Kibbit, um, Kibbit gives me. Give um, us an example of say. what you disagree with. Come on, just to, just to prove uh, your point there. The, the thre- I think threading is probably a pretty good example. So sometimes... Mm. Uh, if you're threading, I think it's if you thread two things through um, using a threading macro, Kibbit will say actually you could just um, you know, put one for one function inside the other, and yeah. that's that's correct. But sometimes it makes more sense and is easier to read and easier to understand as a threading macro than um, one function inside of the other. Point free. Sometimes it sometimes it's correct, uh, or you know, sometimes it's it it reads better, but um, oftentimes I find uh, it it doesn't actually. You know that that's not a useful suggestion. So, yeah, uh, that's something. So you're going like to do a plugin for Sonar to rate your, rate your code. <laughs> yeah, I think I think I I remember seeing something, some sort of closure closure Sonar thing a long time ago. I'm not sure. No, I'm just joking about that. You know, it's a bullshit. No, I think it's good. Yeah. It's a good idea though. I think it's I think it would be good. Um, there is uh, Code Climate, um, which is a, yeah. a SaaS service. Has Kibbit support, um, and I think there's a couple of other um, places that that also use Kibbit, um, you know, in, in online services. Hmm. Yeah. So, are there? Do, do you have like? Because uh, one of the things I think, um, what's the cider guy called again? Actually, um, Buz, Buzzard. Yeah, I, yeah, I always yeah, Bozidar, yeah. I, I always butcher his name actually. So, yeah, thank you, <laughs> rescued me there. <laughs> Is uh, you know he was complaining that that. A lot of the like the standard closure code isn't even idiomatic and it's all over the place and yeah certainly in terms of macros but uh yeah I, what, what what do you what do you use as a sort of canonical example of idiomatic closure code um to 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 base your judgments on uh so we've used uh Bozidar's, um style guide closure style oh, right, okay guide, <laughs> uh, that, that he, he maintains he um, <laughs> uh, so that's um not all of those uh, those rules can be expressed in in Kibbit. You know, some of them are no. you know line line length and different things. Um, probably the person whose code I admire the most and think is the most beautiful is is James Reeves. Um, I, I always mm. you know I you know I look at look at his code and I you know I always just think oh man this is really clean and nice and you know I follow quite a few of his repositories and I always learn something when people make pull requests and he says oh you should structure it this way um, and even his um, specs his closure specs look really nice sometimes mm. they can you yeah. know they you know they're useful but sometimes they can end up looking a little bit um, 
little bit messy, but um, his his specs, <laughs> you know, every everything he does um, is is really clean. So I'd say he's um, probably a big influence on on that. I like that. I like that. Yeah, friend of the show, of course. You know, you've been on before. Yeah, yeah, he's, he's been on. <laughs> you, you love this guy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So uh, yeah, That's kudos great. to James. Yeah, I agree. He's, he's got a very nice style. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Cool. Well, I think that's, I think that's okay. really good stuff. Um, thank you very much, Daniel. I think you know you're doing some great stuff there and good actual code with the reframe stuff and and great community efforts with um, the closures and uh, the depths and the closures together. So you know, overall, top man from New Zealand. Thank you very much for your <laughs> yeah. work. Thanks. Yes. Thank you. So, people who are listening, subscribe to Rappel. Get onto the beta for Deps. Hmm. Uh, <laughs> pay for closures together. Become a member. Uh, so this is uh, this is something I think um, uh, could be one of the probably biggest things that that closure can benefit from um, as a, as a community, as a you know sustaining all the all the open source projects that are out there. I think that is really really important because one of the biggest questions every time when you pull in some some other library from random place. Uh, or, or well, random place being the internet, you know, the, your first question is, you know, how maintainable is this shit? I mean, what mm. happens if, if somebody just drops it off? So, um, and and of course, we always have people who are extremely hard working like Daniel. I, I see, you know, so many projects that he's maintaining, um, but we, we want to make sure that it is healthy and sustainable. Mm. So, and thanks mm. for starting it, Daniel. And we, we really hope that it is going to pick up and then, you know, some people will, will see the value in it and then fund the projects. So yeah, that'll be I awesome. Agree. I um, yeah, and um, so uh, to conclude, uh, we just want to mention uh, a quick thing. Uh, we announced that we are going to um, accept, uh, not not accept. You know, we, we asked for, uh, <laughs> we begged, <laughs> we begged, we begged for money. <laughs> we, we begged for money um, to 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 make sure that you know uh, we feed our cats and and, and dogs. Uh, mm-hmm. Uh, I don't have any, but uh, no, I I'll probably, if I have them, I would probably feed them. Um, we can't afford any, but, can we, at the moment? Yeah. Exactly. Right now, we can't. Um, <laughs> but eventually, I think at this rate, we, we will we will afford a cat. Half a um, cat, I think. Within, 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 uh, half a cat, yeah. yeah. Or a Schrodinger's cat yeah, yeah. Within, t- within 20 years or so. <laughs> but nevertheless, I mean, the, the people who jumped on to Patreon immediately and then started supporting us, I'd like to thank them. Yeah. Um, this is fantastic. And um, thanks a lot for for chipping in um it, it's not just about the money it's about the the the, the support that you guys are uh, guys and folks are giving us uh i'm going to read their names out i'm not sure if if you know um obviously they're our patrons so i don't want to insult them in any way <laughs> <laughs> the rest of the world you know as you can see we keep insulting ourselves so that's okay uh it's claudio apetre and emma sagerbach uh, Sebastian Wagner, 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 um, yeah. Wagner, and we have Arturas uh, Quesilis. So we have four patrons already, and um, actually uh, we are thinking of some fancy stuff to um, perks to them. Uh, we will announce it uh, once we decide uh, what we want, what we are going to do for that one. So if you are listening to this podcast, um, obviously after you spend all your money on on, on closures together and uh, and depths. Uh, if you have uh, spare change left, uh, you can go to Patreon and then support us as well. So that'll be awesome. <laughs> or at least, you know, just just show that, um, uh, I don't know, your, your support, then we would love to hear from you what you want to hear, who you want to be on the show. Then we can use this as a, as a hook for getting more and more people to get into closure. 
Yeah. So that's pretty much it, I think. Is there anything else, uh, Ray? Uh, I don't think so. Um, like I say, yeah. thank you again, Daniel. Um, yep. It was a pleasure. Uh, probably just thanks. end up by saying thanks to to uh, to Pizzeri, who does the music, um, yep. and to Wouter, who does the sound engineering, um, both contributing fantastic um, efforts to to the podcast as well. And um, thanks everyone for listening. You know, it's uh, it's a pleasure to keep on doing this, and we keep on getting good feedback. Um, so yeah, thank you very much. Thank you, thank you. and uh, we'll probably publish a new episode soon in uh, with with a better rhythm <laughs> what <laughs> yeah cut this bit okay. <laughs> cut, cut this shit i don't care yeah okay that, that sounds that sounds reasonable yeah okay good night good, night, uh, goodbye, good morning goodbye. thank goodbye. you goodbye uh, godspeed okay. <laughs>